2: It is the Anfield Wrap, and this season we are delighted to be partnering with Green King Sport. Uh, for them and us, uh, football is more than a game. Uh, Green King Sport venues are shown every single Liverpool fixture that's televised across the 22-23 23-24 season, time moves on, you get confused, and there are more than 900 sports pubs across the UK so it doesn't matter where you're based, uh, you can catch every minute of the action uh, and as you know, at the Anfield Rap, we very much do think that the best way to watch football is with other humans, only 3,000 of us can clamber the stairs at St James's Park, so if you want to watch it with friends, the next best place may well be a Green King pub, uh, thank you very much to them for partnering with us, uh, in front of me I've got Josh Sexton, I've got Mo Stewart and I've got Stu Wright to talk for produce- Dominantly about Liverpool three, Bournemouth one. Mario, Mario's Ma- Mantos uh, is joining me to talk about his book, the social one that is to come. Uh, we will talk about the song uh, with reference to the manager, uh, and uh, we will talk about transfers. But we will start off with Liverpool three, Bournemouth one. I want the start, Stew, to be the start in the context of the start to be something we come on to. So I'm just going to park that for a second. I want to start in terms of accentuating the positive of the game is that Liverpool create a lot of chances and create a lot of chances to create better chances against quite a good side. It's a sheer weight of attack and talent point. I think they can do better again with better decision-making, but nonetheless, they really do create themselves a lot of opportunities.
1: They do, um, and I think I don't think there's any surprises really. I think everyone going into the season was thinking, you know, we look great going forward. We've got a plethora of of, uh, of players there who are going to create chances, loads who are going to bag. Um, but we've got a, a you know a team setup which is prone to the occasional brain fart at the back, and I think you know <laughs> that's what we saw in in, in 95 minutes. Um, that's exactly what we my, saw.
2: My concern on those, though, what I was concerned about watching on Saturday it was part of the start but I think it's part of a wider thing is the errors on halfway more than the errors on the back the errors when it's it's popped into not just midfield but almost attacking midfield you know mm-hmm. Jota and, uh, and Salah and Diaz when they're trying to link up little touches around the halfway line when we're trying to play out and then we lose it, and everyone's going the other way. Do you know, like I'm. I, I actually think Van Dyke plays really well uh, over the course of the game, but I, what's that? That's what's concerning me is that bit there, almost that strip, especially in that mm. first 25 minutes.
1: Yeah, I I, I noticed that um, in pre-season, particularly at the the, the game uh, against the team at Preston's ground. I, I, I noticed that between the halfway line and their box, we are half loose with the ball. We're really, really loose with the ball and we're not the team that we once were yet um, at regaining possession rapidly. Uh, and we are, we are in danger of being you know carved wide open with, with one straight ball, often is the case, um, or a switch of play. So uh, I, 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 think, I think the fact that we, we see McAllister playing where he is doesn't help. Uh, I think, you know, once you get him into um, a a more attacking position within that midfield, I think we're going to keep hold of the ball better I think we're going to use it. I think we're going to recycle it better than than what we're doing at the moment. Um, But it all just feels a little bit all or nothing when it doesn't have to be in those moments. We can just work the move, work the opening.
2: Facts don't care about Stu's feelings Josh um, Because I share many of Stu's Feelings but it's worth pointing Out that Bournemouth only have three Relatively low value chances after the goal Until 70 minutes now if you would Have said that to me coming out to the ground I'd have, I'd have called you a liar mm. um, Like I've, I've been checking stuff as, as mad as it is but that's the truth of it And this is the the, the, the Oddness of this Liverpool side at the moment That at times you look at, you look at Highlights afterwards you look at you look at the stats stuff afterwards and you're like I'm sure it was worse than that yeah and then the truth of it is that it isn't quite but that's the the tightrope it feels like they walk yeah it feels like it's indicative of 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 the doubt that has
3: crept back into to us as a supporter base as well and and that that is you know something that is evident in 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 the team you've said we'll we'll sort of talk about the starts later on but it feels like there there is a serious sort of level of, of of doubt and and almost you know easy discouragement within the team and you know, Klopp was talking about last week about Liverpool, you know, rushing to do things against Chelsea, and, and that rush was what was seeing Liverpool lose too much of the ball. He, he sort of scoffed at the percentage of possession that Liverpool had against Chelsea in his in his press conference before Bournemouth. It felt like they'd atoned for that sort of slightly in this Bournemouth game, and that didn't, I didn't feel like they were rushing at any point, but they were almost like tr- just trying too much, like too too many like tricky things to do. There were so many like little flicks and things that just didn't didn't come off, in, in, in this game, it was like they were. There was times last season where they were going almost too much to prove they had a confidence. And I felt like that a couple of times against Bournemouth, particularly in that first half, where it was like they just tried to do like a little flick or, or a little something to get themselves out of danger that would get the crowd up, and instead they lost the ball. And instead it felt like Bournemouth, even if they didn't have a chance at the end of it, it was it was like you as a crowd go, oh God, not again. They're going to have another attack again. And it feels like every time Liverpool do that, every time Liverpool make a mistake, even if it's in you know Bournemouth's half in, in, in this game's case, it just feels like it's going to be like the end of the world, and like Bournemouth are going to get a great chance at the end of this. And, and as as the stats prove, it's, it's 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 not true really. But I think it really is indicative of, of how much that sort of that doubt and, and and maybe the sort of lack of you know trust almost
0: has crept back in. And that's come. From the lack of control. I think yeah. that's where that's all born from. Because you're right, when you look at it, the stats say that we aren't actually facing a lot of chances. But the point is, is that we feel like a chance could come at any time. We don't always feel like we are in control of the situation in the way that we should be, in the way that we have been at our best. And I think that's probably why it feels worse than it does. Because I was like you. like I watched watched the game this morning. I was like, I swear the bad period lasted longer than that. And it didn't. And... I swear Bournemouth were more threatening than that and they weren't. But all of the things you said about what is wrong, I do think these are things that I actively, or at least I hope, are still actively being worked on. And that's kind of the point of the whole lopsided, attack minded team in the first place. I think Klopp kind of looked, it's kind of circumstantial in as much as, as has been noted, all of our DMs are either injured or sold. So (laughs) we're going to put all of the attacking lads in there. But also, when you are reconstructing a new midfield, it's going to take time. You've got to learn how to knit together properly. So you want to play at that speed. You want to do the flicks and tricks because you know that at your best, that's what you're going to be doing. But you're not there yet. And you're still trying to do it and it's not coming off. So by having so much attacking talent, you've saying you've got a lot of guys who can produce a moment of magic and we might just have to shoot our way out of a few games while we're getting used to it. And I mean, that's exactly what happened. Louis Diaz produced a game, uh, a moment of magic. The game changed. Bournemouth decided to give us a little bit more time and space and we were able to build into our play.
2: Do you think that Bournemouth decided to give us a bit more time and space or do you think that they tired? Because I think this is I think this is a fine detail and to talk mm. about the start before talking about the referee and move on to that mo. I think there's a bit of a problem which is that obviously the opposition are at their freshest for the first however many minutes of a game what with them not having done any running before that <laughs> point this isn't rocket science no one here is saying that I'm a sports scientist <laughs> uh, but they are at their freshest when they have done less work mm-hmm. and then what happens is they go through that period of time in the first 20-30 minutes and I thought that Bournemouth looked I thought they looked knackered from about 30-35 yeah. I thought they looked shot and they only really regained the legs on about 85 but the point about that though is that this is where I'm like so Liverpool why haven't we just not anything daft or if Jurgen Klopp was sitting here would he say well the thing is that we're stretching them by virtue of the fact that we're taking risks and we're making them spring that bit more at which point I'm like Jurgen sh- shut up I mean
0: that, that's, that's the theory and uh, you can understand why he would say that but no I'm like you and I've got bad news for you Josh clearly the lads aren't watching the team talk because you and I said exactly this like I literally re-watched the clip that you put up on the Instagram go and watch it now of what I said about how Bournemouth will come out of the traps when we have lots of intensity mm. and they'll wait and see if Liverpool give them a stupid mistake well guess what that's exactly what happened
2: it's this vicious circle for me Stu. in that you know villa will watch the video of that and go i tell you what you could get something out of this uh from liverpool early on and also you can look at what happened with them last season ago you can get something out of this And then you've just gotta stand strong somehow towards the end of the match and villa nearly manage it although in the end we even arguably deserve to win that one against villa at the back end of last season because villa also themselves wilt over time they wilt but I'd rather I'd rather team for Wilton and haven't scored. If you see what I mean, can use wilt when it's still at zero, please, because it'd help.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to have to get used to it uh, to an extent because I, I think Liverpool have evolved into a team that pretty much never seems to start quickly in games. Now the manager's very, very um, determined for the team to be a, a team that that that. that that's, um, develops control over the game, takes a sting out of the game early on um, and almost you know suffocates the opposition um, as, the, as the game wears on. And I think to, off opposition teams know it. You only have to look at what the manager was saying about the, the possession uh, last week, not rushing things. And I think that the team was going in to games with the instruction of, calm it down, don't rush, keep the ball, work your openings. And I think that's all fine. But I think that there's a strong argument to be saying, do you know what? The first 10 minutes of games, though, you should be fighting fire with fire. You should be making sure that there's a very, very firm message to the opposition of you are getting nothing here. We're going to be first to every ball. We weren't first to every ball. We're not generally in that first 10 minutes of a game. We're gonna be fair to every ball. You're not getting anything out of us. Um, and I do think I think there's a lot of truth in what, what you've said about the opposition tiring through the games, but I, I don't think that those two things actually are mutually exclusive. I Nor think bo- I mean. both are true. We should be sh- starting um, with with greater fighting games, and then once that fight is won in the first ten minutes, and nothing stupid has happened, then we exert that control. Yeah. This is but this just is just, the- just on that Neil. Just you know, you only have to see as well how Bournemouth started the game. Bournemouth allowed our two centre halves to have the ball, but everyone else, there was a full core press. There was five of their players who were pressing when we had the ball on the edge of our own box or our keeper had it. Every other player apart from um, in our half, apart from our centre halves, but particularly where they were killing the space, they were putting three men onto our two, onto where they knew Trent would be mm-hmm. trying to pick the ball up in his new six position when we got the ball, and onto McAllister. They were they were laying traps for what came off as, the, as their first goal.
2: And That's what I was about yeah. to say was, and that gives them Stuart, gives them further encouragement. The, first, the disallowed goal gives them encouragement for the goal, and this is the this is. Uh, what concerns me about us is that this is the cycle that I, I feel mm-hmm. as though we're just a teeny little bit locked in especially at home and especially weirdly against sides that you maybe say are somewhere between the 8th and 15th best teams in the mm-hmm. division it feels as though we are dangling a carrot and I can see the argument to dangle the carrot I just think that when you lose seven consecutive carrots you maybe rethink the <laughs> carrot plan Yeah, we're
1: just, we're, just a bit, we're just a bit loose with that there's I think there's got to be a difference between if the manager is saying if they're under instruction to you know to stay calm to build the play to not rush into that doesn't mean switch off that doesn't mean mm. be, be overconfident or too relaxed and I think there is an element of being too relaxed. You, I I think I think there'll be I think there'll be those who say that the the trend potentially is too relaxed in those situations. However, I've got a slightly different view on that. I think when you look at when you look at the uh, how he was robbed of possession. He's, he, he has not played most of his career in this position. He is now receiving. He's receiving the ball facing the centre backs. You need a, you know an experienced six there who's worked his way through his his professional career in that position. He's on the half turn. He's got or certainly got an open stance ready to play on the turn. Trent Square. Mm. Trent's court square he's not on his toes which you've got to be and that's what we've just been talking about in that first 10 minutes of games everyone's got to be on the toes and he, he's not and he, he, you know he, he is a little bit loose there but he's, his body shape is wrong and they're ready for it yeah. they're ready for it and then you know there's a slightly heavy touch and, and they've absolutely swamped him so i think i think there is an argument to say that the individuals could be a little bit sharper. But I also think there's a development point there as well, potentially for Trent, who I think could be exceptional in that position but I think his body shape I think he improves Mm. through the game yeah I think he improves through every game he plays but that's a story of Liverpool
0: yeah but I think part of that is it's all a teaching and not just for him but for Jürgen as well because one thing you did see after the goal is that it wasn't him in in the centre-bats taking the ball from Alisson that was McAllister Mm. and I think when you are playing that hybrid role there is a big difference between a right back who comes a little bit infield to give the keeper an option alongside the DM and being the guy who's splitting the centre backs because when you're the guy splitting the centre backs, everyone spreads out in front of you. And what Bournemouth were doing, you were right; they were laying the trap. They had three guys in and around the D at all points, blocking passing lanes, but also ready to pounce. And that's exactly what happened. And. The idea of having Trent as a midfielder, I think it's still a good one. But the idea of having Trent as the DM, the six, almost the sole guy doing all of that, I think is still a flawed one for that because there's so much still to learn. And so much of it is nuance. So much of it is just legs in that position. And if you're going to be doing it at this point, then you're going to have people um, swarming all over him. You're going to have teams game planning for it. I mean, you saw the game plan straight away. The thing that I keep seeing in Liverpool's mistakes, defensive mistakes, is we're always running after players who are already us on the way to goal. And <clears throat> defending is a lot easier when they're coming towards you than when you're chasing after them. And you saw that with the first goal. Robertson gets back. He makes the tackle. But because he's chasing back, the tackle goes to the guy behind him who just comes in and slams it. Mm. And it's just so much harder to get control of the situation, get control of your body when you're chasing after than when you've got it in front of you to play out in front. And Bournemouth were really good at working out how to get us chasing back. They had us chasing back to our own goal inside the first minute. Inside the first minute. And we were talking before about intent and about the difference between playing calm and growing into the game and fighting fire with fire. And even talking about the the teams in the middle ranks who maybe you don't necessarily think are as much of a threat or you believe you should be. That's the difference. That's where you have to be able to say, okay, we're going to be calm and controlled, but we're not going to give any gaps away. Man City aren't chasing back to their own goal inside the first minute.
2: What's odd about this though, Josh, is that the sending off, we'll come on to it in a second, in terms of the referee's decision, but it changes things massively. And I was worried that that allows a reset for Bournemouth and they start doing the things that Mo Mo suggests. And they're nowhere near us. They're nowhere near being able to do that. So that's the odd thing about this team in that it's the... Because the vulnerabilities come early and often, it does feel like... you, you They feel so prominent. And then at exact a moment where I thought, oh, God, we may end up chasing our own tails here and falling backwards, we actually go up the other end, completely control the game, dominate possession, dominate territory and score a goal. And I'm like, lads... This something just doesn't quite stack up even here in amongst all of this, and that's that's still the oddness of this side. I mean, they show so much sense and character for the ten minutes after sending off.
3: Yeah, it's, it's it is really strange. Like I I remember saying so many times last season that this this Liverpool side, and, and I felt it, you know, this season in the Chelsea game in particular, it was so prevalent that this this Liverpool side just too easily discouraged. But the sort of flip side of that is at Anfield in particular, they're so easily encouraged as well, and and we and we as a crowd are like, you know, no no one in the ground on on Saturday really. Maybe a couple of debates on, on on the cop and things like that, but no one truly thought that was a red card. Everyone was a bit like that's that's not it. And then when everyone's you know looking at the videos on the phone, you can quite clearly see it's not a red card. And suddenly we've all got our backs up then because we're like, well, no, this this is now an injustice. Like if we go on to lose this game, we're not we're not having this. And the players sort of the players sort of give you that vibe as well. I saw sides interview after the game where he was saying, you know, when when a when a teammate gets sent off, you sort of you almost put your arms around each other as a team and say, We're gonna we're gonna do this, you know, almost for the player that's been sent off now, which I really sort of like that sentiment because it is the idea of you know we're not we're not just going to take this lying down and if, and if the decision is, is as bad as that one is I think I think that even that even increases further that that sort of feeling of injustice and I really felt that in the ground I felt like Liverpool's best spell of the game was with 10 men after mm. after the sending off which which is, is is mad really because as I say this is a Liverpool side that's sort of too easily discouraged in in, in, in moments that's that's lacking so much control but then they, they're giving themselves they, they almost give themselves these reset points of like no now now is when we, we really let's we really ramp our mentality up.
2: The referee Institute there's a big push for more respect this season it was part of the the whole FAs thing over the course of the summer. I genuinely don't think we're ever in good faith at Anfield. I said it last season. I was hoping there might have been some degree of a reset. And I want to be really clear about this. He gives us a penalty that's innocuous. He could easily not give it. And I've seen us not get that on a regular basis, especially where Salah's concerned. I can argue he could send Alisson uh, in, the, in, in the early part there. I think Konate's clever as he's running back, but I would always point out that the thing that's always forgotten when a keeper comes out is there isn't another keeper mm. <laughs> after that point. So I want to be clear about this. This isn't me saying, oh, the referees, they all haters etc etc. But I think there's a thing where certain things have viewed at Anfield in a different light. I think we're I'm, I'm very rarely vexed about the refereeing away from home. I was one of the people who actually thought that Taylor had a good game last weekend at Chelsea. Um, I understand why other people didn't and it felt hard lines with the penalty. But, I just don't feel as though it's. Good. As I said I just keep saying the same thing. I just don't think we're refereeing in good faith at Anfield. I think there's always a referee who's about to show that he's prepared to stick it to Anfield. And maybe I'm just completely wrong, but that's what it looks like.
1: No, it's really difficult to to, to make a case against you, really. But if I'm trying to be objective um, and almost remove Liverpool and Anfield, if you like, from the equation, which is really hard to do when Paul Tierney, who was on VAR, mm. is absolutely anywhere near our ground or any game that we're playing in. Um, but if I, if I try and take us out of the equation, I was having a bit of a think about this over the weekend with the, the respect call. And I, I saw, when I got home, someone sent to me, um, what's his fellow who's now, um, the ex-referee who's now on, on Sky? Um, Dean. Dean, yeah. I saw a clip of him justifying the decision. I, you know, he's got it in slow motion there, and he said, oh, yeah, no, I can see why he's done it. Yeah, fair decision. It's a red card. And he's the only man on the planet, by the way, who I've heard say that <laughs> it is a red card. And I think it's really, really hard for you know cries of greater respect to be taken seriously when referees are so unaccountable, so aloof. They come across so aloof, and then they just back the mates no matter what. That's what it's, that's what it comes across like. It, you know, even within VAR, we saw within the first years of that how reluctant VAR were and still are, as we saw on on Saturday, to. Um, uh, to make the referee go and have another look at things, uh, to challenge the referee on, the on-field the referee's decision. Um, I, I think the only way the greater respect is going to come for referees is when the time comes, if it ever does come, that they are able to be interviewed after games and take a human approach and say, I got that one wrong. I got that one wrong. I'm human, you know, and I think people will accept that. I do think people will accept that. Uh, you know, personally, if the, if referee makes a mistake, there is a the we're all human, and even VAR until it becomes run by AI, which I'm more and more getting on board with, to be quite <laughs> honest with. Um, but until VAR is it, it, you know is taken out of human hands, again, there's still going to be a level of subjectivity and mistakes. I would. Be able to get my head around it a lot more if they weren't so removed, aloof, um, and not accountable to mm. the to, to the the supporters. Uh, the,
2: the, it's the likely suspension that kills me on this one, yeah. Mo, because I I feel it is a massive climb down if they don't if they don't do the suspension at this point. And first and foremost, I just really want to watch the footballer. Uh, you know, yeah. in a really basic way, I really want to watch the footballer, and um, we're unlikely to be able to now in the league for. Three games, one game, we'll find out. I really want them to be able to say, you know what, it's not violent conduct, it's not a red card, you were punished during the game. Mm. If you want to say it's an orange, you copped for it and you managed to win the game. We all move on. As Stu says, though, I just don't feel as though anyone can find that backtrack.
0: No, no because the other thing that we have to factor in is not just the the Anfield factors the fact of where we are in the season i.e. at the beginning of it and we've seen it we've all seen it year in year out where there's a new directive and it's enforced very strictly early on to try and send a message and then they kind of walk it back so there's going to be opportunities there's going to be games next weekend the weekend after the weekend after where there's a tackle exactly the same as that that isn't even given a yellow card and people are going to be like why was that one and why was that one because they're trying to set the standard now and that's how it moves forward. That's When you look back at Premier League games from 10 years ago and you see decisions that aren't given and you know that they'd be given now, there isn't one massive sea change. It's just little incremental bits where it moves and it moves and it moves. And these are the kind of things where it moves along. We are on the short end of the stick on this regard. So we're going to have to cop for it. I unfortunately think that they aren't going to change it. Because they're looking at it from a scientific point of view. So they're almost saying, okay, foot makes contact with leg at this juncture that is reckless when the reality is it's not. It's the difference between doing that and doing that. And that's why it's a scientific and not a football decision, if you want to call it that. And... Because that's where the subjective element comes in, I don't think we're ever fully yeah. going to square that circle.
2: The other part of it that drove me mad is part of the reason why he's a teeny bit late is he has to run around the referee. Um, he has to, <laughs> to run around the referee, which is one of the reasons why he's a teeny bit late. Um, okay. Great stuff so far from Josh, Mo and Stu. Uh, coming up in a second, we're going to be chatting away about individual performances and asking whether or not you'd have the awkward conversation with Mo Salah on the penalties. Individual performances. Uh, worked through a couple of them. Josh uh, Dominic Zaba'sli was just the absolute business. It was um, it was such a, such a way to announce yourself to an your crowd. I thought he looked great at Stamford Bridge, but it is always a little bit different seeing a player in person. And I think he is the sort of footballer that will come on in person. I think he's also the sort of footballer that will come on for playing for Liverpool Football Club.
3: Yeah, I I, I have to admit I was already wrong about Dominic Zaba'sli, and not not in a way that I thought he was going to be crap for Liverpool, I I basically thought he was going to be have sort of a similar first season to Darwin Nunes in, in that they come with that same sort of explosiveness, don't they? He's, he's you know, Dominic Sabos, all the highlights you see is, you know, sprints away from people, running into a press. It's, it's free kicks and, uh, and long shots and all these kinds of things. And I think sometimes those explosive players, they're the ones who do your head in the most. And actually what I've seen from him in the first two two games of, of, of the season in particular, not so much in pre preseason. Pre-season probably gave me evidence that thought, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be really hit and miss this lad. Actually, he just looks like he's he's got so much purpose, so much solidity to his game. And I think you see that at, at the weekend and, and there's the, the, all, all the sort of stats kicking around about his progressive carries. He, he was he was talking, I'll keep references in interview after the game because I loved it, to be honest. He was talking about when he had to get withdrawn to the six and and the manager's shouting at him because he's, he sort of forgets he can't go forward as, <laughs> as, as much at times. He, he's, he feels like he's got so much sort of sense and intelligence to his game. And, and I really do think you see that at the weekend. He, he makes... Everything good happening in a Liverpool sense, and that's that's what I thought. McAllister would be in it, and to a degree, what it is, what McAllister's been so far as well. So that so the, you know the both of them as such exciting signings, and I'm so happy to have to have been wrong because I, I think you know I expect him to, to sort of in, introduce himself to this season with with a moment. And I remember saying to you, oh, it, it'll be about March. He'll score a goal against someone at home that will keep us in the title race. I had this big idea in my head. He's already given us that that game in that moment. And it's the second game of the season at Anfield. He's already sort of had his
0: his coming out party now. And I'm so excited to see where he can take it for the rest of the season. I think there's something about him, because I remember watching him at Leipzig. And I like you, Josh. There were times when it wouldn't come off for him. And he's kind of like in and out. But when he was good, he was so good. He just reminds me a little bit of Sadio. In terms of when he just came to the crest of the wave, and when we first got Sadio, all the Southampton fans were saying, "Yeah, he's good when he's good, but he's not always good." And then Sadio was like, "No, nah, I hear what you're saying. I'm ready to move on now." And that purpose you mentioned—that's like, no, this is what like, this is what Dominic Zobazai is going to represent from here on in. And I feel like he's attacked his Liverpool career like that, and I I'm here for it.
1: Isn't it great? when you sign a player and you get to see him play and you're just like oh we've got one here we've got one here he is brilliant he's absolutely mustard I mean it's a short sample size so far but Christ he is brilliant Um, absolutely do you think
2: part of what helps him is you know this idea of because I think that we're about three weeks away from Sides needing a Bosley plan And the point about that at the minute is that teams have got a trend plan and they they want to have a Salah plan and they quite like to have a Jota plan, like a Diaz plan. And I think part of what happens there on Saturday is that Bournemouth just haven't got enough plans or you can't (laughs) have plans for everyone. And suddenly, here he is. And I just think that that helps him massively, Stu, because I think he's going to make teams go, we need to sort him out, at which point then there's more space for others.
1: No, I hear what you're saying, but some players come along and they've got everything in terms of physically as well. I mean, he's an absolute unit. He's so powerful and you could have 50 plans against Steven Gerrard and he was breaking through he was smashing through every single one of them and when you look at this lad you think he he could do the same he's so powerful Um, and his, his pace acceleration is um it's so surprising For a lad that size And you know Carrying that much bulk That mm. much strength The one where he leaves The two Bournemouth players For dead on the touchline Is just a thing of beauty Does uh, that be... he just ran into Diaz? is <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: oh. <Yeah. laughs>
1: like lad he, uh, Honestly yeah, I think He's my new favourite player And I, I, I want to give him One of those Chelsea Ten year contracts Already <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he is he's a, I'm so excited To see where he's going But he's 22 Yeah Oh dear lord we're going to have fun with him. Brilliant. <laughs> um, different
2: Dom, uh, Diogo Jota, Mo. He grew into the game mm. and then he became its defining force. And if you'd have said to me after 30 minutes, Diogo Jota is going to become this game's defining force, I'd have said, "Are you absolutely kidding me?" It, it, it wasn't even just a grew into, and I don't think it's as simple as when oh, he gets his goal and he goes up a level because he's up a level before he scores the mm. goal. He's he's beginning to be absolutely everywhere. And he actually does brilliantly. We, we we obviously love the Diaz finish, but Jota does brilliantly in that little period, and it felt like it felt to me like that kicked him on. Yeah. And I thought he was I thought he was excellent second half, genuinely excellent.
0: Yeah. It's funny because you'd have said, um, "Are you kidding me?" And I'd have said, "Well, no, this is Jota. This is what he does." We see this do so many times where you think, oh, Jota's having a bit of a funny one here. Then all of a sudden, oh, no, he's not. He's all over the place. And there was one chance in the first half where Trent pings it across, and he tries to take a touch when on fire Jota is hitting that first time into the bottom corner. And I think he kind of admonished himself in his head, and that kind of like went, no, we need to play better. And he did start to pick it up a bit. He is still hit and miss in terms of doing the link play bits, but he is now... His his energy is a real force, and he's able to. Now he's got someone like Zobazai alongside him. They can kind of really press as a pack, and that really works for him. But he was the leader, I think, in the second half. Because yeah. <clears throat> even before the the goal and the sending off, I feel like we came out of that second in the second half smelling blood. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Bournemouth, like you said, their legs had gone by then, they were looking ragged, and it was that point where you feel like, okay, we need to get the goal that kills this game now, and there was a real urgency, and Jota kind of epitomised that more than anyone, he was the one arriving, he was the one gambling on any time that there was a ball over, he was going to the back post to see if it was there, and as we saw with the shot from Zob and I remember saying before Zob uh, came along that the thing about him being a goal threat from outside the box isn't just about the goals he scores. It's about the chaos he creates, the space he creates. And sometimes, if a keeper makes a poor mistake, the ball's are in the six-yard box to tap in for someone like Jota.
2: Um, Diaz was everything you want. I think yes, he actually ties a little bit second half, Diaz. Um, I think he, 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 could, he could go a little bit earlier, but I think trying to do the subs in bulk is a, a still a challenge uh, for all managers trying to make that work but i thought he was i thought he was everything that you wanted especially for the first hour or so really really dangerous and i'm just loving him getting between the posts definitely is is he I think there's been a clear sort of directive for, for him to be more direct
3: from 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 the coaching staff. It really does feel that way, and like I always understood the the ways in which you'd get frustrated with him because there'd often be times where it felt like he had like yards and yards to run into, and he and he'd come inside so early, and all, and you almost show yourself then because you allow the defense to shift across that extra bit. If if the pass is there to to Salah out out, out on the out on the right hand side, that defense can shift across a bit and, and sort of you know go back to their Mo Salah plan of of making sure he's he's denied the ball, and that that was frustrating at times. I don't think you've really seen any of that from 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 Diaz so far this season. He is he is playing so direct, and it was a thing that really you could see that was so obvious in in preseason as well as the angle in which he's running at defenders now he's going to cause so many more problems for defenders this season he's going to score so many more goals this season and I'm pleased with the way that he takes that goal at the weekend because I think that's exactly what Diaz can be in that I think he's got all the sort of explosiveness in the world but he's really really intelligent football as well and that's a really intelligent finish <laughs> because the deflection comes he has to adjust his body to where he's receiving the ball and then he almost has to adjust it again in mid-air because he's like oh this, this ball's come up in a really weird way here. I'm going to have to kick it a bit quicker basically and you sort of see that he's almost like leaning back and then he just swipes his foot through the ball and the keeper's got absolutely no chance none of the defenders got absolutely no chance and it, it, I always think back to, to that to the Gerrard thing of, I think it was about Suarez and Sturridge wasn't it maybe even Stern yeah. 13-14 season like all the best dealing with them like if you honestly if you're making Mo Salah plans if you're making Durga Jota plans all the best with
2: your Lewis Diaz plan as well <laughs> there's um, on the intelligence point Stu I actually thought it's it amongst the best games I've seen him and Roberts have together I thought Robertson was really good I, th- I think I think for the second consecutive game other people don't uh, but I thought Robertson was really good picked his moments well And then when he's there and around the penalty area, he's just lovely to link up with. And I thought that Diaz and Robertson got the best out of each other over the course of that game. Both were unfortunate not to end up with an assist.
1: He, he, as Josh said, then he's so intelligent. Uh, the way he uses the ball, uh, and he's patient with it. It doesn't. It might not seem like it because everything happens mm. so quick. But you can see his his uh, his brain is it's constantly ticking over at lightning speed, looking at weighing up all the options, all the possibilities. If he if he moves this way, if he feigns that way, who can move into the space? Who can he play off? Or should he just beat the man? You know, and um, I love it when he beats a man. Uh, you know I think I, I'm a big fan and big advocate of players beating men because I, you know, I'm old school in terms of I always think that opens up space for others as soon as you take a man out the game. But I do want more, I want more defensively uh, from him. And I, this is not to say that he doesn't work hard. I think he works extremely hard, um, but it's that combination that you just referenced then actually, between Robertson and uh, Diaz when um, off the ball. I think the the uh, the partnership and and the knowledge of each other's movements and uh, positional play is not quite there yet in the same that way that we were spoilt with, with um, Mane and, and Robertson. But I wanna, I want to throw another name into the mix as well. We were spoilt with a triangle of of Mane, Wijnaldum, and Robertson uh, down that side, both on the ball and off the ball. They were tremendous, and I think it hasn't been helped by the fact that we're playing Gakpo in that that role in midfield at the moment instead of McAllister, and uh, that that left sided centre midfield position uh, I would like to think that um, once that's locked down with the the preferred three which is very frustrating for the reason you said before about the, the, the potential suspension but once that's locked down I really would like to see um, us having. A- a, a much greater sense of control when we are defending down that side I was like you last week in terms of I thought Robertson got a lot of stick and much of it was unfair I felt because they had he was basically facing a, a two or three on one situation relentlessly
2: With James and Sterling They were both yeah. good yeah. <laughs> yeah. S- Sterling just absolutely murdered West Ham uh, yeah. for the first half yesterday.
1: Our issues with Robertson have have, have have been more around the changes system and making the right decisions positionally when we're on and off the ball, but not about his one-on-one play. His one-on-one play is still good, and he's still got the legs to be able to keep up with the best of them. But when he's outnumbered, and he's used to a, a very tight system at Liverpool over the years, where he's been protected as a, as we have been on the other side. Um, the, once that's removed, then I think it's very difficult, um, and I, I think that's just a period, that's a position on the on the pitch and area on the field that I would like to see us grow and develop mm. as the games we're on.
0: I feel really sorry for him, you know. Because essentially this whole change of system was foisted upon him. He didn't have a say in the matter. And the point of it is is that when he's at his best, when he's a third centre-back, part of the defensive line, he's not able to do the Robo things that he does so well. But he's like, look, guys, I can do these things really well. Can't you see? These things that were such a big part of all of our success not long ago. Because obviously we talk about the influence of Trent, but Robo's influence in terms of attacking... Is kind of underrated still, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we're all talking about the fact, oh, well, it's a problem now. And that's the pro- The problem for Robbo is that him take, oh, underlapping Diaz into the six-yard box is great. But because of the way we've got this system, it's also a problem. Because it's the kind of thing that other teams are trying to game plan for. So when he's there, we need you to do this and go. And that's why you get overloads. So. I think the problem isn't really with what he's doing. I think it's with how we square what everyone else is doing. And I think Stu's right in terms of having Mac alongside him in there. I think it's probably going to help fortify that. I do think he's doing a better job of learning when to go and when to stay. I think that that's something that will build as well. But yeah, I feel sorry for him because like, he's still a great attacking force. And I don't think that he should be forced to give that up just because of what the system that we're playing decrees. I
2: think we're going to spend the season saying, to tell you what, Stu. Uh, Van Dijk's playing well without anyone ever sort of I thought he was excellent I think it's his second consecutive game of being excellent I thought he defended the halfway line really really well I thought Van Dyke was really good
1: I do I do as well I think um, he looks far more like his, his old self um, I think he's making you know better decisions I think when he's looking after his own game in particular I think he looks really really strong I think part of the issue that I you know we were just discussing about Robertson. I actually felt last week part of the issue though was our defensive line was so deep. When we were away from home, when we're up against it, I think there is a, there has become a greater tendency for us to drop, and you can see the manager last year last year was going bananas about it, and all it's doing is opening the space between the midfield, those half spaces which Reece James and um, and Sterling were able to take advantage of. They those spaces wouldn't be there if we were braver and we pushed out, and that's his job. That he, he's he's the captain of the team. He's certainly the leader of that line, and I'd like to. I'd like to see us, when we're away from home, and when we are in those moments up against it, I'd like to see him get us out more and have that little bit of confidence, that belief that we're going to squeeze that space, give them nothing, and back ourselves on the turn if anything gets put in behind. And once that happens, I will be absolutely rock solid in my head that Van Dijk is back.
0: Does he have the confidence yet? That's
1: what I'm a little bit. But he's. I think to help them, it's his responsibility to shut down that space. Mm. I think when he's nervous about those in front of him and makes that decision, or or is just erring on that side of caution, I think it's accentuating the problem. And I think that's part of the issue that Robertson was so exposed last week. Doesn't happen no. if we kill that space. So let's back back ourselves and let's get five to ten yards further up the pitch.
2: Uh, Endo makes me laugh. Uh, made me laugh massively. you want to tackle him. Bombed on. I was like, lad, we're all right for that. You just sit in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't get carried away with being at Anfield. Uh, seems sound enough given everything we'll talk about uh, recruitment in a minute or two I've got a mild worry that he can't necessarily turn round uh, but then I'm worried about that with most footballers uh, Josh you're going to have the awkward conversation with Salah if you're Jürgen Klopp this week if I'm Mo I'll do the stats if I'm Mo I'm going on LFC history and I'm printing off the page that I sent to all of you and showing the manager that he's, his conversion rate is 81% um, which is better than XG on a penalty is 78 he's better than Phil Neal who's took more penalties for mm. Liverpool than anyone apart from Steven Gerrard 74.5 Steven Gerrard is 82% uh, Barnes was 66% Michael Owen was worse than me and I never even played for the club um, <laughs> there's the, the <laughs> there's other footballers in there as well Rushy 50% Rushie took 6 uh, scored 3 missed 3 Hey, rushy uh, good to see there was a way he couldn't <laughs> score a goal because yeah. he knew all the other ways he was bossed there I think there's a weird thing with it Josh where he's never entirely convinced so the stats suggest he is you know he scores four and five of them and as I say that is better than the suspected average but he's never entirely convinced but I do sort of wonder to be fair to him whether or not this keeper's in his head a bit
3: yeah I right. I think there was a period where he did convince but funnily enough it was the period where James Milner was playing so much that James Milner was like you know the bona fide first option penalty taker. I remember there being a, it was at Huddersfield at Anfield most most goals are a a penalty maybe Huddersfield away actually and around that time I remember thinking Salah doesn't miss penalties like we, we we've got two lads there who just don't miss penalties and I think around that time that was probably the period where he did convince and his penalties were really good and almost the more he's taken them I wonder whether he whether he just he's getting in his own head a, a little bit I, I mean we constantly wonder that with Salah don't we and I wonder whether actually for me it's not the awkward conversation it's it's the manager just, just needs to light a bit of a fire under him and mm. I, I almost don't know how you how you do that with Salah because. There's, there's, it there feels like there's about a million things where we go. There's a light of fire under Salah. This, I'll do this, and it's, it's quite strange. Really, sometimes the things that light fire under him, and sometimes yeah. the things that don't. Sometimes <laughs> things he just lets happen and uh, and lets go. I hope he doesn't let these kind of conversations go. Mm-hmm. I really want Mo to, to sort of, you know, have a big think about the way he approaches penalties. Really approach him with that sort of, you know, I mentioned before about trying not to show you, you're too confident on the ball. I want Mo to start just absolutely bladdering. And I, I know he does try and bladder mm-hmm. this one. And Andy was saying to me in the ground, it was almost like the one he takes in the European Cup final, that it's close to the keeper, it's low, it's hard. I want to see him start smashing some into the stanchions. And listen, there'll be a couple that go wrong in doing that. <laughs> but I want to see some of them just properly nestle in the top corner. I can go, that's that's the confidence.
0: See, I mean, if you want to light a fire on him, just remind him that missing a penalty loses him FPL points, because he's really <laughs> important and <laughs> that to him, clearly. But... I I, I was going to say I have a theory on this, but the truth is my dad has a theory on this because we got into it about penalties, about Salah and penalties. After the Bournemouth game last season where he missed, my dad's theory is that it's about control. Lots of things are always about control. If you look at all the great penalty takers down history, Beppe Signore, Malatissie, all those kind of guys, they all had a calm, measured approach to the ball. They all looked like they were in a controller situation. They could change last minute. Salah's approach is quick. He does that thing where he does that circular run and he comes and he's trying to build up momentum for, for the shot and you can see why he's doing it because he's normally trying to hit the ball hard but it loses that kind of control so the goalkeeper doesn't have that feeling of like oh I know exactly, he knows exactly what he's doing there's that bit of trepidation and that's probably why to us it looks like he's not quite as good at it. Now I think that I've got a theory on how to, to get him better as well because you're right, the, the things that light a fire under him is the threat of losing it and we do have lots of other players in this team who can take penalties. McAllister, Sobosly, Um, there are a few others who think that they could do it. So if I'm Klopp, I'm going to him. All right, Friday training after Friday after training every week, penalty competition. If you win, you're taking penalties on Saturday. If you don't, someone else's. That will keep him going because then he'll be practicing. He'll be thinking about. It, he'll be like, no. Because the other thing we have to factor in as well is that we've talked a lot about Mo being more of a creator this season and how he's kind of thriving and yeah. in that. That's because he's still on penalties. Like, he knows he's still going to get goals because he's on penalties. He does not want to be taken off penalties. So you've got to make it. So if you keep on there, you have to make that standard. Quick, are you going to have the conversation with him or not?
1: That's the conversation I'm having with can you just hit the corners please just hit the corners <laughs> yes. just stop absolutely smashing it within you know a foot of the goalkeeper either side and we won't be having this conversation at all again just hit the corners you know what he needs to do remember like that the old tour at Liverpool and there was a little game for the kids where you could go and take a penalty and you, and you had to get it in the circles that were in the corners <laughs> yeah just get him a few hours a day on that A few <laughs> hours a
2: day <laughs> <laughs> right, He'll soon sit at, he'll soon
1: at the corners yeah, at. yeah. Tuesdays
2: Mo 12 till 5 <laughs> um, Stu Right on a podcast yeah. um, You might have um, Excellent stuff uh, Marios Mantos uh, Came in to talk to me about his book The Social One uh, This is me talking to him uh, And then after that We're going to talk about the manager and the song mm-hmm. And then we're going to have a chat about transfers joined by Marios Mansos, uh, who's written a book called The Social One, which is about how Jurgen Klopp was a perfect fit for Liverpool. And Marios, one of the things that struck me reading the book was, and you, you frame it quite nicely, that Jurgen, he is a perfect fit for Liverpool, has been a perfect fit, but if he'd have known he was this perfect a fit, or what the role was, the way in which what manager being manager of Liverpool could be like, he might have actually been a bit reluctant to take on the mantle of such pressure, <laughs> mightn't he?
4: Yeah, yeah. Because uh, we were talking about this uh, off record that uh, uh, he, he's a man that uh, he's himself. He 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 is himself. Is what you see on and off the camera. You, you know it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes, uh, he he came here to to manage a football team. He he didn't came here to 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 manage the people of the, of the city, <laughs> but. but that's what the, the outcome was. <laughs> well, it's funny that that is the outcome because, for me,
2: being Liverpool manager has always felt, growing up, like it's such an enormous role. You end up with pressure from all over the place. And I feel like the best Liverpool managers you mentioned, for instance, Rafa Benitez in the book as well, the best Liverpool managers find the way to make it their own, and that's what I think is most impressive about yeah. Jurgen. It's not just obviously being successful on the pitch; massively helps with that. But the best Liverpool managers find the way to be the to, to be themselves whilst almost changing the role, making it fit them like a glove, and that's what he's done so
4: well. Yeah, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, yeah, the the manager of Liverpool Football Club is is a special person. It's a it's a figure that the, the people of the city are looking to, to his eyes and waiting to, 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 to see the same there's th- th- themselves. They, they, they want to, the, 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 manager of the football club to be the mirror of themselves. And you know, Jürgen was, was growing up as a, a football fan, first and foremost, he was a, f- a passionate fan of Stuttgart. Yep. So he, 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 he know, he knows very well, uh, how it is to be a fan and what a fan, what the fan wants. Passion, true love for football, true love for the club. So but also as you put in the book, also honesty,
2: like that feels like an important thing to Liverpool. You make that argument within the book that, you know, using the words of other people who've spoken about it yeah. as well, that they, they say that honesty becomes, you know, one of the most important things for people in Liverpool. They want someone who will be themselves, tell it like it is. Doesn't you know? Do, doesn't sugar anything. Just is, is very direct. And and Jurgen Jurgen's
4: honesty, I think,
2: shines through in everything that he
4: does. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I, An example I remember from the from the book about honesty is uh, the the Adam Lallana example when he he was informed by Jurgen that ne- next season uh, he he would not have the, the role that yeah. he used to has he used to have. So uh, he talked to, to to Adam and said to him, if you want to go. You can go, and uh, right after that chat, Adam Lallana equalized against Manchester United. North <laughs> Harford. So that was the psychology part of, of the thing. He, he, he it was a, a sad part for, for, for Adam, but he was really happy for and really blessed for the honesty of Hugen. And that was what he gave him the, the psychology to to lift up.
2: When you when you're the book, what what strikes me as interesting is you're obviously using uh, a lot of, of political language. And Jurgen himself doesn't use political language, yeah. but he does make political actions, and that to me is it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy in a way. Mm. He, he he is that he is someone whose who's, whose motivations for actions come from come from this place, but then in that way, you know, without sort of weighing it down with political significance, he. He, the way in which he conducts himself and what, what the way in which he acts and, the, and, and what he
4: wants and the way in which he views a football team, it is it does have a, a, a political element to it. Yeah, of course, of course. And he, I call him a socialist, but he never calls a, himself a socialist.
2: He does say he's left of centre, but yeah, he, uh, he has uh, said exactly, that. So
4: yes, yes. But, but um, you know... The, the, there's a kind of uh, socio-political analysis in the, in the book about Jürgen and uh, that's the com- the comparison with with Bill Shankly he he lives and w- works with the principles of teamwork fellow uh, love for us communitarianism here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, together exactly. some communitarianism exactly. is one of that you mentioned it in the book and i think it's
2: a really powerful part that he genuinely doesn't believe that things can be achieved without that communitarianism, yeah. both in terms exactly. of 11 players, but also in terms of thousands, millions of Liverpool supporters around the world. That's what matters to him.
4: Yeah, and that that, what, that is what football is about. Football is a, a team sport, a sport that you, with different players of different level of quality, uh, combine their the attributes and work for the same goal. That, that if, if there is a, a sport that can um, Summarize the the, the, soci, the socialist the socialism part is football. So, yeah. Did you enjoy writing the book? Yeah, I, I learned a lot more writing the book about what, what I what I knew before. Mm. I, I knew less before, and uh, it was a quite ex- exceptional and interesting uh, process of writing the book. So yes, uh, I, I write. I wrote it to, to Greek, <laughs> and he, it was published to be in Greek in twenty twenty. So, uh, from twenty twenty three is in, in English. But you've added some stuff in English post twenty uh, since the twenty twenty uh, um, version. You've updated a little bit. A little bit. There's it, just uh, things yep. that um, you know. Sadio Mane have left. Yeah. Uh, Gini have left. Uh, here comes COVID unions and uh, yep. COVID, of course, and uh, some things that Jürgen had said. But not a lot not. because it, it was. That, that's the, the power of this book. Is that. It's you know not for now. It's forever yep. because the the, the the things that I wrote here uh, are not affected by the, the how the team is going.
2: Okay, it is excellent, it's called The Social One, Uh, it is now in English uh, and it is worth reading. You get it from all the places you get books from, it is published by Pitch Publishing so you could go direct to them, Uh, there are many other different places to buy books, but thank you very much indeed. The uh, English
4: inside is is much better than mine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yours is fine, get off your own back, Uh, it is The Social One. Uh, It's a pleasure to speak to Marius, Uh, he's having a lovely weekend in Liverpool by the way, Uh, gets to do a book signing, wanders around the place, has a great time on the tour, what a week he's having, what a week we all are the social one check it out Thank you very much to Marios for coming in. Uh, Let's move forward. Uh, If you want to download anything from the Anfield app, you can use the app. We're now also on Patreon. Uh, That exists as well. There is no difference between what's on Patreon and what's on the app. I feel as though we'll have to say this a hundred times, but it is, I (laughs) promise you, true. Uh, There is no difference between what's on Patreon and what's on the app. Um, So if you've got the app and you've downloaded and you're you're into everything, brilliant, thank you. Uh, The Patreon thing's just for people who prefer to use Patreon Um, and you can also subscribe through the website. the
3: same with YouTube, by the way, because I get asked that question a lot. YouTube and the video offering, exactly the same. Yeah, you get all the videos <laughs> on
2: YouTube, uh, that's it. Uh, if you want to use YouTube for your videos, it's there, it's available, but you don't get any of the audio stuff. Uh, that's the way in which it works on that one. Uh, there's Patreon, there is the app, there is the YouTube, uh, there is also a free trial uh, for a week on uh, Patreon. That's the one thing that is different. If you do sign up through Patreon, you can have a free trial for a week. Uh, but apart from that, it is all the same stuff, I promise. Uh, I might actually take one or two things off Patreon for a laugh every now and again and
4: see <laughs> I'm not going
2: to do that. I'm sorry I so that uh, I'm not going to do that. Heaton's livid with me. Uh, absolutely livid with me. I'm surprised he didn't throw something at me at that point. Um, we're going to talk about the manager in the song. Uh, he gets to have his view, Josh, and he wants to conduct everyone. Um, I mean, I, I, my general view on songs is I often can't be bothered. <laughs> I like the cold and the noise. Um, he gets to have his view a little bit, and he's obviously a teeny little bit self-conscious, not least because I sort of feel a bit like he's probably the, his harshest judge of himself, mm. and I think he also wants everyone to be behind the players, be behind the team, but, you know, he can. he's made his point, but <laughs> people are going to sing what they're going to sing. Okay. Yeah, I, I almost think around this, and I, and I used to think
3: it as as well, and, and listen. There's there's ways in which you can use these things to to motivate people. Like we all loved that he that he effectively said to the players. I'm i presume it was him who said it anyway. Like you can't touch the Anfield sign until you've until you've won something. It seemed like that was the sort of almost the rule that came from him, and and then spread throughout the team. And, and I quite like that because it meant that you know when they did, we all got to buzz off the moment that they won the trophies, and and, and they got to touch the sign and all those kinds of things. But he always said that about his, about his old songs. or didn't, didn't he He was always like, oh, don't, don't sing until I've basically won something. And then when we did, that was also a nice moment. But now, now I'm almost like, just chill out a bit, Jürgen, because it's like you say, like us singing about Jürgen is contributing to the atmosphere, and yes, he, he might sort of look around and be like, oh, why are you not making a song for for Big Dom yet? Or why have you not made a, a, a song for McAllister that you want to sort of sing in, in, in the ground yet? And, and sort of support the players more in that way. But we're just supporting the but, team, and Jürgen is a part of the team, and he, and he
2: sort of just needs to accept that and like and just get over it a little bit, I my, my thing on the team part, Stu, Gutman hates the song, by the way, I've been having murder with him about it for about 12 months. But my point to has being... It is the only song we have which mentions winning the league in 2020. We haven't got another song that mentions winning our first league in 30 years. And the reason why is because of COVID. That if COVID doesn't happen, we would end up with about five and we would have got to have a season where we go to Goodison and we go to Old Trafford and we sing songs about the fact that we're champions, we won the league, we Mm. won it better than anyone else. And I'm not like the song in general. I always have a mixed view on the songs. But the reason why I always like it is at some point I'll go, oh, yeah, we won the league. And if it does it help Jürgen if he thinks of it about that? It's literally our only one that mentions winning the league, genuinely. So there was a Mane one that mentioned winning the European Cup and that comes up at different times and we've won it in Madrid and all that sort of stuff in there. But it's our only one that mentions winning the league and I'm a bit like, well, you know, unless someone wants to come up with another one and I don't see how that happens now. It's this or nothing where we talk about the fact that we won the league. It was great winning the league. I want to win another one, don't get me wrong. But this is it. This is our one where we talk about winning the league. There's no others.
1: Yeah, I think he needs to relax about it. About really, um, as you say, it's, it's the only one there about, that talks about winning the league, and I think you know, you, you go back to what football is as a fan, you know, it's very rooted, it's very core. It's about going and and um, being with your mates and, and enjoying yourself and being happy and, and celebrating and just having a, a really good time. And, and I think he gets in his head a little bit about these types of things, as, as you said. I think he does like a cold run of noise. I think he wants, I love most a cold run of noise, yeah, I, I know, me too. And I think he wants it to be about the players as well. But I remember. I go back to what, you know his early years really, and I think it was after, was it after the the Arsenal game where Mane scored on his debut? It was certainly early days where we had a, a, a two or three situations where players had ran to him, and like we conceded. Then afterwards, you know, we can that a goal or two. And he made a point in the press conference where he said, like, I've told the players that they can't do it now. They can't come running to me when there's 20 minutes to go in a game and <laughs> jumping on my back. You know, we can't be having piggybacks. It just sends us the wrong message. I, th- I think, um, I-, I think you know, it- for us though, we love that. Yeah. You know, I- when I see that, when I see that I goal, Oh I see the Lalana one As yeah. well at Norwich mm-hmm. And I see them running To their manager I absolutely love that I, I can't help but smile It doesn't matter How many times I see it I love that togetherness That excitement That almost like Just lads on the schoolyard Almost you know Just having a laugh Mm-mm. Together with it uh, I think it's it's What football support is And it's very core And I, so I think You know With the competitive world Of the Premier League Where points are at stake And livelihoods are at stake I think it's really Sometimes easy to forget that So I just think You know Just relax a little bit Jürgen mm-hmm. there Don't worry about it Let us sing our songs we're only being sound you know what I mean <laughs> worry about it when we're calling for your head hopefully yeah. that'll never happen yeah. uh, and just worry about what's going on in the picture I was steps.
0: literally going to say that I was just like Brendan Rodgers sitting there just saying lad you have no idea <laughs> you've, got you've got it Yeah. But the other thing about this as well I think and it's really I kind of see it whenever I'm sitting in the main stand and I'm just in front of him. He gets wound up during the game so much by so many little things that he really doesn't need to but I think that's just who he is and the nature of who he is and I think for him it's like you say the thing with the 20 minutes to go and considering a goal. I think it's a superstition thing. I think even though we're not singing it because we think the game is over in his mind because he thinks it should be an end of the game song he feels like it should be there. and so he, in his mind he's associates it with that which is his fault to be really honest like he's the one he has to get over it in that respect but I do also think to a certain extent the stuff that he says and does in the moment because the, the, I think the shocking thing of listening to the clip of the audio is how annoyed he is and how much he goes in and that's just his mode at that moment yeah. I think if
2: it's like it's like me on foul throws. What the ball boys are up to, <laughs> and whether the crowd's giving enough to the liner. Well, exactly, it's like if people, yeah. Someone mic'd me up. Oh uh, God. For, for uh, bits and pieces in yeah. the in, 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 the, in the centenary, you'd be you be amazed what drives me mad. Oh, yeah. It's, I I I'm, honestly I'm on some ball boys' backs there. Well, they need to have a good long think about things.
1: The so, thing is though, you know, uh, something that we we're forgetting as well is his Mrs. loves the song, and she just might be singing it relentlessly in the kitchen all the time. Yeah. i yeah. Like, like, sure, like, oh, yeah. Shut up. I singing get this that at home. song. Yeah. yeah. So might just be that. But, like, um,
0: I, I do in all honesty though I think this might be one of those things where in the moment he was intense and angry but now he's looking oh. back and he's thinking it's a bit like if he was knowing that we were, so many people were talking about it we would just like oh for fuck's sake
1: yeah this now
2: right? <laughs> stop filming me <laughs> Jesus uh, okay uh, just dead quick James Pierce says no recognised holding midfielder um, I will tell you what that gives everyone some wiggle room
0: yeah I mean d- well, d- well define recognised holding midfielder they've been you know thin on the ground anyway so
2: is it just we're not buying Rodri <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, may, I think maybe this means that we're not buying Kaiseido or, or many. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's one of those where it's like, they're, they're still looking at things, but you know, it, the fact that is was back on the bench and the, then Endo came on and made it, it gives you more options in that so you don't have to go, we absolutely, you absolutely need one guy whose only job is to do this. we we'll now get some guys who can do some of this but could also do some other things.
2: That's that's my reading of it in reality. I mean, I still want them to buy three players. Uh, I suspect they may be disappointed, but I want them to get another couple of defenders. Um, I mean, the manager, to be fair to him, he did find the only context in which I want to see Kostas Shimekas come on at the minute. Uh, he managed to find literally the only one. Uh, when I went, yep, fine with that, good decision. Uh, but think Gravenberch and Decore links are persisting aggressively, Josh. Gravenberch coming on, uh, really quite strong indeed. I feel a bit like Munich have got a decision to make here. Uh, Gravenberch has got a bit of a decision to make. Munich have got a decision to make. And then it looks like Liverpool or Manchester United might have a decision to make. But it feels like that's a live thing in European football.
3: Yeah, I just think they're two players who Liverpool almost have to wait for the opportunity to, to sign them now. I, I, don't, I don't think Liverpool are, are sort of sign those players. As as in, I don't think they sign them for the price that Crystal Palace have quoted. I think they probably want for Crystal Palace to come down on that price for Decore and Bayern ultimately need to need to want to sell Gravenberg. Otherwise, otherwise, I just don't I don't see a way in which either of them move. And and my my opinion on the summer has been broadly the same. Um, the, the the idea of signing Caicedo was probably the one that sort of appeased me to, to, to be like, oh, we'll probably sign Andre in January now and I'm happy to wait mm-hmm. till January for Andre because we've got Caicedo in. I could see a world in which they almost do like a, not a pre-contract because that's not really what it is, but uh, we've signed Andre but he's, but he's there until January. He's our player as, as of January and, the centre-back thing, I've, I've, I've loved seeing all the links and sort of living all the links. I just think Colwell was the one. And I've sort of always thought that. And, and, and I, I, I can see the argument of why Liverpool would have thought that. I'd have liked them not to have thought that. I'd have liked them to have thought some other lads were, were, were an option there. Um, I just think that was always what it was. I think that was, we really like this lad. We think he might be available this summer. Suddenly he wasn't available this summer and they've gone. So we'll, 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 What we have, we hold, which may well be Nat Phillips again. <laughs>
2: I don't think that Phillips, I'm just more concerned, not concerned, because he's obviously shown he's got a degree, a pedigree, but um, at some point, footballers like Matip go on the turn, right. and I've long mm. had an argument that no one goes off like a centre-half, off. centre-half's turn like milk.
0: Well, I think the thing with Matip for me is just that we have to play so differently, so many players around him yeah. have to play differently when he's playing, and if we're trying to do this new thing, and then we're all having to change, it's a bit of a Ke- playhouse.
2: Kevin Ratcliffe went overnight Stefan Honcho went overnight Saul Campbell mm. went overnight center go overnight Rio uh, I remember yeah. Rio so overnight. Games yeah. at uh, it's, it's, it's a thing that happens center when they go they go uh, that is my worry uh, what do you think we're going to do from here
1: I'm worried about the, the defensive midfielder situation I am worried about that and uh, you know I'm, I noticed them. then we, we continue to talk about Decore the right there but are we not classifying him as a recognised holding midfielder
2: I don't know because all the all the London media are saying Liverpool are really into decorating. Right? Yeah,
1: but I, I think if if what Pearce has got is right, then I think it's that rules him out to me. Which I'm fine with if they've got the Andre right deal locked down because <laughs> i have YouTube'd him. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> and he, looks, YouTube. he looks boss, but he he, he he looks an angry little fella as well. You know, what I mean, he looks like he, he's going to get around the pitch and have a bit of bite about him. But also, um, I don't think we've got enough for them. In the squad, I, I like a, a, an angry so and so. I like a Mascherano, and I'm not saying he's a Mascherano, but um, you know, I, 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 I like the look of him. And, uh, I but, don't think I, they're going
2: to uh, do him though before January. If they, no, if uh, they remain in the love of the Torres, I think, I think they'll see, see it through. That's too. fine.
1: If that's the rationale for we're not getting another one because we've got him and he's the one we want, but we've got to wait till January and we're going to go with these lads till then, then fine. But I don't want to not have that information. I don't want to get to the end of the transfer window and it's not being said that that's what the move is. Mm-hmm. I'd like it wrapped up. That I just. Put everyone. Put It's a bad for everyone, I think. Um, I, I, the one I don't get is the Gravenberch one. I don't get that because he's done bits of defensive midfield. He can do a job there, but even the buying manager doesn't see him as a no. as a number six. So I'm thinking, okay, so is he then competition for the other two midfield positions? Well, the left side you've already got Thiago Okay, he's got a, a year to go, but you've bought in McAllister and you've got Jones. So if I was Jones And they brought him in For competition on that side I'd, I'd have a bit of a problem With that to be honest And then on the right side You've got you know the world's new greatest player so and then you've got Harvey Elliott as well and
2: McAllister can do stuff over there Mm -hmm. we've seen it in the past
1: so I'm just scratching my head a little bit about it unless they want to convert him to a a number six fine but that will be a project Uh, he can do it but I don't think he brings all the elements that we want I think he's great on the ball as a six a ball playing six a playmaker but uh, I don't think he's one who's you know snuffing stuff out everywhere all over the pitch putting out fires I'm not sure he's that um, so I think there's a, there's a question there I definitely think we need as we've said all, all pre-season we need left side of centre half and we need ideally I wouldn't mind a right back as well for a bit of competition there for Trent so I'd like three
2: I'd like three uh, from here as well uh, we'll see as the opportunities come uh, I'd like three agreed I'm alright with one in January as well mm. if, if, yeah. if if other bits are better down uh, in there I think it's going to be a crazy end to the window everything you need on transfers on the Anfield wrap uh, gutters practically fucking daily <laughs> uh, to be honest with you um, you know which, which you might like listeners uh, uh, it's just you know I, I like to think there's a finite amount of gutman you want in your lives and yet here we find mm. ourselves uh, it appears that your quantity of gutman that you most desire is, a spare is
0: rumor somewhere in man island yes yes,
2: yes is indeed infinite uh, who knew uh, thank you very much on this one to Josh Sexton to Stu Wright to Mo Stewart uh, Sam Walker has looked after the images if you've enjoyed the YouTube of it uh, Andy Heaton has looked after the audio which I'd like to think you've enjoyed all uh, No matter which direction you've gone into. Um, I tell you what, Liverpool, they're going to be a hell of a roller coaster all the way through this campaign. Um, We should enjoy it together as far as we can and not lose our heads and hope that they don't either.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.